Well, I want to welcome all of you that watch online every week. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, I am very excited this weekend because I get to go to the South Lake campus and the West Fort Worth campus, and I get to ordain three new elders at each campus. And then next weekend, I'll be ordaining eight new elders who will serve at the North Richmond Hills campus. Now, we just have one eldership. We're one church in three different places, but they all serve at prospective campuses, and I'm excited about doing that. So be praying for our new elders, and I love being on our campuses. I got to be, every time I go to South Lake, I think, man, I would wish I could be here every Sunday. Every time I go to West Fort Worth, I think, I wish I could be here every Sunday. And of course, I've been at this place for 26 years, and I don't get tired of being here every Sunday. So be praying about our new elders. I'm obviously going to be very, very busy the next couple of weekends. And another thing I'm excited about regarding our campuses is we've never had Christmas Eve services at every campus before. But last year, uh, we had two services at North Richmond Hills. They were so full, we've got to add another service. We had our first service ever at South Lake. It was so packed. We're going to have two at South Lake, and we've never had a service at West Fort Worth before. We're going to do that this year. So six Christmas Eve services. So no matter where you live or no matter where your friends in our city live, be sure to invite them. And I'll make you a promise. Even though my message on Christmas Eve will be brief, it will be full of gospel and joy. And your friend will be blessed. So I hope you can come and bring a guest. It's going to be a busy season. In fact, for pastors, this is one of the busiest months of the year. So I can relate to the pastor who finally got past Christmas and told his wife how tired he was. And she said, I know what you mean. I am exhausted too. And he looks at her and says, why should you be tired? I had to speak at three programs, speak at six Christmas Eve services, and preach at five weekend services. And she said, yeah, and I had to listen to all of them. <laughs> so, we all know what it's like to get caught up in the busyness of the season. But let's just be honest. If the Christmas season is just exhausting, then maybe we should put the way we are observing the season to bed. Because... The message of Christmas, the coming of a Savior, this should fill us up. It should not wear us out. And so, maybe what you need is not for Christmas to get over. Maybe what you need is to get over Christmas. So, I'm starting a three-week series, and I'm very, very excited. As we... Consider what it means for the Christmas story to reign over and to transcend our personal circumstances. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be overjoyed. Just like the shepherds, just like the wise men. There is something about this story that should give us a joy that transcends. It reigns over what we're going through. Next week, we're going to talk about being overruled. Because Jesus didn't come just to be a savior. He came as a sovereign. A king has been born. 
And we're going to talk about what that means if we believe that Jesus is Lord and let that rule over our day, how it's going to change our lives. But what I want to do this weekend is I want to talk about a word we hardly ever use or think about. And it's such a powerful word. I want to talk about how Christmas tells us that life is overshadowed. Let me explain with this line. The Christmas story is the shadow over every other story. Isn't it true that the biggest things make the largest shadows? The tallest things cast the longest shadows. Okay, so how big is the birth of Jesus? Okay, it is so big that whether you believe that Jesus is the Son of God or not, here's what's true. We divide history by His coming. Think about that. We divide all history by this question. Did it happen before Jesus was born or did it happen after Jesus was born? That's a pretty big shadow. The Word became Flesh is the most startling claim in history. In fact, every other claim in the gospel depends on it. Now, I'll be honest, and some of you are listening to me right now, and you're a little skeptical of the whole Jesus story, and I get it. You read a story about a guy that walks on water? Well, if his name isn't Harry Potter, that sounds pretty weird. Or he can just take a sack lunch and feed a thousand people with it? Or come up out of a grave? And a lot of good men have died. Why should his death be any different? But see, it all hinges on the identity of that baby in the manger. The single most important question Christians ever ask anybody is, who do you say Jesus is? Because if that baby fully man, was also fully God. And he's the one who made the sea. Then why can't he walk on it if he wants to? If he made the grain, why can't he multiply it? If he is the author of all life, why can't he conquer death? And if he did die, then why wouldn't that death have significance for every other death that ever happens? It all comes back to this. Who is that baby? You've heard me say this a hundred times. Anybody who says all religions are basically the same hasn't studied all religions. There is no other religion in the world that has anything like this. That God became man and was a baby born of a virgin. Now that story, whether you believe it or not, has been casting a shadow over every story ever since it was first announced. So let's take a moment and let's read about the very first announcement. It's in Luke chapter 1. An older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, at a very old age, have found out they're going to have a baby. They're going to name him John. And then the story continues that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled. Well, who wouldn't be? And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, there's an obvious problem with this story, and Mary brings it up. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Listen to this answer. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Okay. I got to be honest. I always feel a little awkward whenever I preach on women getting pregnant stories. Okay? And yet, throughout the Bible, there's this metaphor of Christ being born in all of us. It still makes me awkward. True story. Many years ago at our church, a preacher long before me was teaching ladies Bible class. Earlier, he had passed a kidney stone, which I've never done. I understand it's pretty painful. He gets up in front of ladies' Bible class at our church and says, ladies, now I get it. Now I can relate to you. I understand how hard it is because I, to give birth because I passed this kidney stone. The following week, a lady in our church brings him a seven-pound rock and says, pass that and you can talk, Okay. <laughs> And by the way, that's the last time a preacher ever taught ladies Bible class. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) So even though I don't understand anything about childbirth, there is something in this story that connects to all of us because Mary's the prototype. Mary's the first disciple. God wants to do the miracle of Jesus living in all of us. He wants the story of Jesus to overshadow every single story. So let me just show you how it relates, okay? For example, it overshadows our when doubts. Because one thing the holiday season reveals is that most of us have a weight problem. I'm not talking about pounds. I'm talking about time and patience. The holidays frustrate us because we have to wait so much, right? Kids hate waiting for Santa. Adults hate waiting in line at the mall. And everybody hates waiting in line at the mall to see Santa. Some years ago, in Reader's Digest, a woman named Kayla sent in this story. She was out at the grocery store getting a few things to eat. Her four-year-old daughter, Avery, is in the cart and Kayla spots a Santa Claus coloring book. 
and thinks that would make a great uh, stocking stuffer. So she grabs it and tries to sneak it under the groceries so little Avery can't see it. But little Avery saw her mama do something, and she would not let up. What was that? What was that? What was that? And she would not be uh, quieted. So finally, Kayla brought it out and said, See, Avery, I was going to give you this for Christmas. And little Avery said, Mama, I already have so many presents under the tree I don't need that for Christmas. Oh, Kayla's heart just melted. And little Avery said, I don't need it for Christmas. I need it right now. (laughs) And that's how most of us feel. But the Christmas story challenges us to gain some weight. Did you hear what that angel said? The Lord God is going to give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he'll reign over Israel forever. The kingdom will never end. Okay, that didn't come out of nowhere. Gabriel is reminding Mary of a promise that was made hundreds of years ago. It was a promise that Israel had claimed and then longed for. And then wandered about. And finally, after so much time, began to doubt and just ignore. No, no, it's not they didn't know that the promise was there. It's just after all this time, you just learn how to live life like the promise had never been made. And then, to a nobody in the middle of nowhere... The reminder comes, the Word of God will never fail. Christmas happened because God always keeps His promises. Now, all of us have our when doubts. Not a person listening to me right now has not been frustrated with the timing of God and tired of of waiting. And there are two promises that are the hardest of all to hold on to. I think one of them is the promise that Jesus is coming back. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. And every time there's another shooting, every time there's another tragedy, every time there's another tsunami, you just, how long, Lord? And before long, you just start living your day like the promise was never made. And the other promise that's hard for me sometimes to hold on to is the promise that God is changing his people into the image of Jesus. And God, I wish you would just be a little faster. Anybody here knows somebody that you wish God would let you fix? Right? I mean, I would like to be somebody's Holy Spirit every now and then. And yet, The truth is, I look in the mirror, and I admit, I'm not changing very fast either. There's still a whole lot of work God needs to do in me. But Christmas says, don't let what didn't happen yesterday make you live like it couldn't happen today. Hang on to hope because God always keeps his promises. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly 
without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Isaiah 64 says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. So here's what happens. When we consciously, intentionally live under that Christmas story, we start to gain some weight. When we let that story overshadow our story, our hope increases. We serve a God that does not bow to time. But He is a God who has time for anybody that will bow to Him. Because the Christmas story also overshadows our who doubts. Now, it's hard for us to think it this way because Mary might be the best-known woman in all of Christian literature. But you understand, when that angel showed up, nobody was standing in line to use Mary. Nobody was asking Mary to do anything important. She was a nobody. She lived in nowhere town. In fact, you think about it, nobody in the Christmas story is very important. Zechariah and Elizabeth were just a couple of old people who couldn't have babies. The shepherds were lowlifes. Simeon and Anna, they're just a couple of old codgers hanging out of the temple that everyone thought were kind of religious kooks. You say, the wise men were important. Well, they were where they lived, but not in Israel. In Israel, they were outcasts, they were pagans, and their position was contemptible. But the Christmas story overshadows worldly designations of status. And it says, nobody's too young, and nobody's too old, and nobody's too poor, and nobody is too outside. In fact, when the angel left, Mary wrote a song. And I want to show you part of the song that she sang. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He's brought down princes from their thrones, and he has exalted the humble. Mary got it. This story overshadowed her, and it caused her to understand, I serve a God that notices the people that nobody notices, and he picks them up, and he puts them in places to do amazing things. Now, here's the deal. Nobody can doubt God can do great things. What we doubt is that God can do great things with me, that I could be a part of God's mission. But God has never valued ability. God Values availability. God doesn't need stars. This story already has a star. Maybe that's why Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, look at what you were when God called you. Not many of you were wise in the way the world judges wisdom. Not many of you were of great influence. Not many of you came from important families. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose what the world thinks is unimportant and what the world looks down on and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. You see, when the Christmas story overshadows your worldview, you start to have an upside-down scale of values. So it was in 1939, and Montgomery Ward asked this advertising executive named uh, Robert May to write a little poem that their Santa Claus at the store could give out to the kids, and he did. And that poem became incredibly popular. I mean, they handed out millions of copies. So 10 years later, May's brother-in-law, a guy named Johnny Marks, he wrote a little tune to go with the poem, and it became a song. They got the singing cowboy, Gene Autry, to record it, and it became the greatest selling Christmas song ever. Can you guess what it was about? This guy, Rudolph. Of all the awesome Christmas songs, how in the world did Rudolph become the most popular song ever? Here's why. The greatest stories are always about grace. Think about it. Rudolph was a nobody. Rudolph was an outcast. He wasn't allowed on the inside. He had a defect. But guess what? He was called to fulfill a mission to the world. Because the one that loved him saw in him what no one else saw. Why did God choose Mary? Because she was important? Because she was rich? Because she was influential? Because she was intelligent and she could fathom the mystery of Holy Spirit conception? No, 2,000 years later, we still can't understand it. She was chosen simply because she was willing to surrender. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The Christmas story can overshadow anybody, anywhere. Because God loves to use a nobody from nowhere to do the no way. You see, Christmas can overshadow our what doubts. Now, I'm going to say it again. I'll be honest. The Bible is full of a whole lot of say what stories. Seas part and walls fall down just because people march around them? And you got to say, at the very top of the so what story in the Bible is a virgin got pregnant. But the Bible consistently declares that our reality is not a limit on God's possibility. Verse 37 in one translation says, God can do anything. Another translation says, nothing is impossible for God. And that's what Gabriel was asking Mary to believe. Think about it. Gabriel wasn't giving Mary a command as much as an invitation. 
She wasn't being asked to believe in God. She was asked to believe God. She was being asked to release all of her what doubts and be open to new experiences of God's power in her life. See, I have to think that when the angel said, is anything impossible for God? Mary had to go back in her mind to a story. A story that in some ways is the story that kind of launched the whole story. There's this old couple. He's almost 100. She's almost 90. And an angel came to the woman and said, you're going to have a baby. And she laughed. She said, I'm too old to have a baby. And here comes the word. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's what Christmas asks us. Have you let the Christmas story overshadow what you're going through right now? What's on your too hard for God list right now? Are your finances in a mess? Did you just get some bad news from the doctor? What about that addiction that nobody else knows about but you have struggled with for years? What about that person you love and they just won't let you fix them? And we've waited and we don't feel important. And we've just learned to live like nothing's going to happen today. I love the word overshadow. I've read that story for years and years, never really studied that word. You know what it means? It was the word of a big giant bird who had a huge wingspan. And she could put her wings over her babies or whatever she wanted to protect. Do you know what the word means? It means God's wingspan is not too small. It means there's nothing beyond His reach. Christmas is bigger than just the story of Jesus entering the world. It is the good news that Jesus wants to enter my world. There's nothing that's beyond him. There's nothing that's too big for him. There's nothing that's too lost for him. Cancer is not beyond his reach. And screwed up finances are not too much for him. And wayward people are not too far away that he can't reach them. He overshadows your story. He always has. He always will. Remember, our story starts with a God that enters a virgin womb, and it ends with a God who leaves an empty tomb. 
That was good. Come on, that was good. You want to know what else is good? He walked through a door that said no entrance, and he walked out of a door that said no exit. That's our story. And that story should overshadow your story. And when it does, like Mary, you become very, very hard to intimidate. You see, Jesus coming down overshadows what's going on. Now, let's be honest. As long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to deal with doubts. We all do. We all have our when. We all have our who. We all have our what. But we're not going to give up. As long as Jesus' story overshadows our story. Is time, is status, is improbability outside his reach. Listen to me, friend. The issue is not God's ability. The issue is your availability. You old baseball fans will remember the name Leo DeRocher. He was one of the great all-time baseball managers. He coached some of the greatest baseball players who ever played. And he was asked one time, who's your favorite player you ever coached? And he said, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes. He was a nobody. He basically sat on the bench and pinch hit. Why him? And here's what the great manager said. Whenever the game was tight, whenever it was all on the line, and I needed a pinch hitter, I'd look down the bench, and most of the guys would avert their eyes. Rusty would look at me and smile and tap his bat and say, I'm ready, coach. I'm ready. Mary was willing to be overshadowed. And what happened yesterday can happen today. Because it is not beyond the reach of God. Would you just say that with me, Lord? It is not beyond your reach. Everybody say that with me right now. Lord, it is not beyond your reach. One more time. Lord, it is not beyond your reach. Bow your heads, please, on every campus. I want you just to take a moment. And I want you to consider. Where do you struggle the most right now with doubt? Is it a when problem? You've been waiting a long time. But Lord, it's not beyond your reach. Is it a who problem? You don't feel like right now what you're doing matters. You don't see how God could ever use it. But it's not beyond His reach. For a lot of us, it's a what. It just doesn't seem like it can ever change or ever get better. But it's not beyond his reach. Take a moment and just lay it before the Lord and ask Jesus to overshadow.
Oh, God, I know you're working in some hearts right now. At South Lake, at West Fort Worth, at North Richmond Hills, and literally around the world online. I know you're doing a work right now. And some people are wrestling in their hearts. Can I really believe this? Could the story of the coming of Jesus overshadow my story? Lord, we're going to step out in faith. We're going to believe even when it's hard. And together, right now, every campus, I want us all to say it one more time. Lord, it is not beyond your reach. Thank you for coming, Jesus. You have changed everything. Amen. Everybody stand, please. We're going to worship. We've got people who are coming down front who want to receive you for prayer, for baptism, for anything right now where a word from a spiritual friend would be a blessing. So everyone come. Let's worship the Lord.